This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, it's my good friend Nate Tyson. How you doing, buddy? I'm having a feeling of deja vu. <laughs> that's that's how I'm feeling right at this moment. But uh, no, feeling great. Feeling great after my quick little water break and uh, hopping right back in here to do Sunday's games. Yeah, just you know, just a little break, just a little yeah. like two minute break here. If you guys have not listened to part one of our Christmas weekend recap we talked about the saturday games uh that one pretty much like one of our normal sunday recap shows got to do a bunch of different stuff talked about a bunch of games so if you have not listened to that uh you can wait until after you listen to this one but please go check it out uh really good conversations about the eagles and the cowboys talked a lot about justin jefferson and the vikings win the lions getting just their asses kicked by the carolina panthers who showed up in a big way on sunday so please go listen to that one if you have not but let's do this. Let's dig into the Christmas Day games, which yeah. started off with a doozy in Miami, where it was very cold for Miami standards, by the way. It was like 42 degrees. My my fiance's from Miami. Yeah. So she was like, that'd be the that's the coldest it would have ever been. It was like 40 degrees. Meanwhile, my pipes froze here because it was negative 25 with the wind chills. So I, I'm feeling really bad about those uh, Miami got, folks with their 40 degree weather. Whenever I think Miami Christmas, I think of Home Alone too. And and because aren't they down there and it's like pouring rain or something like that? That's right. I, that's right. Yes, we go for Thanksgiving every rain. year, so that's yeah. always strange. I always try to force the sweater because like, it's Thanksgiving. Like I and have like what do you? 60, I have to six sixty. Oh, it was eighty five this year on oh. Thanksgiving in, in, in Miami this year. It's eighty five <laughs> degrees. Oh God, I, I'm not built for it, man. I'm just oh, not yeah. built for it. This I obviously negative twenty five is in a different conversation, yeah. but this place where I live, this is my, my natural state is in a sweater all the time. And Miami just does not align with that. I'm permanently shorts and sweatshirt weather, which is, which is Pacific Northwest. But I live here in Vegas where I get about, I get eight months here. It's great weather. And then you get like two months of hell heat and then a month on the kind of book. After like 9 PM though, you can do shorts and sweatshirt pretty much all year. Cause it does get (laughs) cold in the, during it night it gets cold. It's chilly. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll get down to the high twenties here at night. No, it's, it's a desert, you know, but which I love, I get my four seasons, even if, you know, fall and spring are about two weeks each, but I do get all four seasons here at least. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about this. Uh, A huge win for green Bay, obviously. I mean, they're very much alive. In the NFC playoff picture now, Just they still around. need <laughs> some breaks in order to do it. But I mean, depending on where you're looking, they now have like a 25% chance to get into the playoffs. And that is comparable to what the Lions have. It's comparable mm-hmm. to what Washington has. If the Packers win out, they're pretty much in. You know, they likely need a little bit of help. You know, if the Giants win, beat the Colts they're in no matter what happens against Philadelphia in week 17 but if the Packers win and that includes a loss for the Lions so I think that's why that's important to to take into account and then if Washington wins out okay they would be in okay even if the Packers went out okay the thing to watch there is that Washington is playing Dallas in week 18 Dallas might have nothing to play for Right. Because they might be locked into the five seed. So those are just kind of all the moving parts. But the Packers have put themselves in a very real position to make the playoffs. If the Packers go on a playoff run in this year where it was all falling apart 
and it seemed like the wheels were coming off and i don't know what i'm gonna do it's it can't i i, I think this. it could i think it could break me i'm sure it would we did a loser leaves contender town segment <laughs> packers and box a few weeks ago <laughs> i think i think it would break me i don't know if they're necessarily ready to do that even if they get yeah. in but if it were to happen i just don't know if i could handle it Oh, after the first couple drives, I was like, don't worry about it, bud. Like, <laughs> the defense isn't stopping anybody. <laughs> so, but they owned it. But no, I, if they rally for the playoffs after what this season has been, it's like, God dang it. Like, they just, that's what happens. You just, they got enough talent. They got Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers, and they got enough coaching to like put them in good spots. It's just, I know. I, I don't know how you could handle it. I, at least I'm a neutral. Early in the game, obviously, Miami just, explosive play after explosive play and it was it was kind of frustrating to watch i mean they're trying to pass stuff off and yeah. it's just guys not picking up people in zone coverage i mean jair alexander pointing and pointing on that jay when waddle touchdown and they were struggling consistently Do, did you see any noticeable tweaks from what the packers were doing down the stretch that you think allowed them to really give miami problems in the second half uh they they barely blitzed yeah. Uh, I noticed that, and they just generally just mixed up the coverages. That's what I noticed more than anything. They, a couple, like there's some two man, like one or two snaps of that quarters cover six, which they usually do. Some man thrown in there with some pressing. I think that's what they did the most was just without blitzing, they changed up the post snap picture. Um, and, and really, it wasn't like true disguise. I would say it's just that they made it a guessing game in the sense that it's like, okay, is this two? Is this four? Is this six? Is this man? Is this, you know, running the smorgasbord, the spectrum of coverage coverages. Um, and I think that's really what helped or what hindered Tua and maybe just this passing offense really just this dolphins offense, especially over the last four weeks, their last four losses, they just don't run a lot of ball plays. They they've they average forty nine plays over the last four weeks, which is just which is super low. They ran forty five plays against the Packers, and ten of those were explosive. By the way, so forty five yeah. plays and ten of them were explosive. But the thing is, their success rate was under forty percent for the third time in the past four weeks. They have uh, over the last four weeks the Dolphins' success rate just you know being efficient, play in, play out. They're they're twenty fifth in the NFL, which is about what the Titans are. It's not. That's what this offense is built. It's built off those big plays. I think that's what the Packers were getting into. They were like, okay, let's limit some of these big plays the offense is getting. This is what everyone wants to do against the Dolphins and make them work for it. And really, they held up. They uh, A couple big runs, but really held up in the run game. Um, you know, the interceptions like this, the big play, the waddle touchdown at the beginning, and also the interception to Jair Alexander where he uh, where Tua sails it. Yep. That is just it's the uh, i've said this before is that that's to a trusting and not anticipating or not progressing or reading there was a lot say. of that in this game oh my oh, over and over and this was the good and the bad of it that's what Tua is like when he he knows what his one is he's gonna get hit the back of his drop and let it loose and this but this is what happens when your offense is built off that and off of alerts what if bodies get in the way what if they make it hard for you what if um you know the second interception to Mo, uh, Mozart, 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 Mo- Mostert. Mozart, Mostert, sorry, Bach, <laughs> <laughs> um, Beethoven. Uh, but anyways, he he was in the slot on the second interception. Tua, you know, he's he reads everything like an X's and O's. I think that's how the best way I can paint paint how Tua reads the game. He paints it how you d- install the plays and how he sees it on the drawings and how he's seen it on the cutups. 
I'm throwing, it's single high, it's cover three. I'm going to throw the seam because that is the read on that play. It's But my running back is in the slot and my running back's not looking for the ball until 12 yards and he misses the throw anyways. But I think that's a lot of him going, oh shoot, he's not looking and he misses the throw. But again, he's day one. He's not read. even paying attention to Devondre Campbell on that play. No. That doesn't no. even he's start to account for him. No. And we and I don't want to talk about bo- uh, both sides of my mouth and compliment like Kirk Cousins or Burrow and saying like, man, they really just throw with that anticipation. There's a difference with that because they're confirming a read post-snap and then throwing it. Tua is determining it at pre-snap and then going, boom, that ball is coming out. And so that's just that difference between trust and the anticipation. And you could just see it happening. And even the third interception, I could just paint this picture by the three interceptions. The third one, Rasul Douglas, it's three cloud, which is, you know, so it's cover two basically to that boundary side. He's not seeing, reading it like that. They're running a high low. He just assumes I can throw the corner against that cloud corner. And Douglas just sinks underneath. It was like, okay, thank you. And they hit him the on a um, very similar design early in the game where, Douglas bites on the underneath and he hits the whole shot to Gesicki. So that's yes. in his mind, based on the design of the play. I've already done this today. Yeah. Like I know that whole shot's going to be there based on how the Worked play is designed. And throws it right to him. <laughs> yeah. And, yep. and that's the problem. And I think yep. that you and I both early in the season, I the Detroit game sticks out to me. Yes. Is where he's reading one guy. It's, uh, it's barely reading it. It's like I'm putting one defender in conflict. If he does this, I do that. Yep. That that is how their passing game. If was this, working. then that. Yes. Yep. If that, if this, then that. Consistently, and it was yep. one guy. Yep. So, on that last one to, to Douglas, in his mind, well, if the if the corner goes inside with yep. Tyreek running that, just like a little crosser, it was just like yep. immediately if the under, goes inside, under route. Yep. Yeah, a little under route. I have the guy in the hole. I have high low. If this, then take. that. Yep. But if the first part of that logic puzzle doesn't play out. Yeah. That's where they run into problems. And I think yes. that is what has consistently happened over yes. the last few weeks. Yes. I, oh, no, I totally agree. It's There's a reason why you see all those bombs. It, it, it's Those are the alerts. And that's Tua going, well, go balls and posts over and over because that's the alert. That's the one. I'm, I'm taking it over and over. And again, it, it's those are explosive plays. I'm never going to dog an offense like it's their explosive plays. But then there's no that sustainability. Okay, they take away the post. What now? <laughs> the if this, then that. If this, they take away the post. Then what? What? What do you have to? And that's where you can see these plays come unraveled. I keep coming back to this uh, graph that Austin Gale uh, posted uh, now with the Ringer, and he posted where it was the EPA by drop back for all these quarterbacks uh, at, at, by time to throw. And I thought that was so interesting. You know, everybody peaks at about two seconds and then it slopes back down. Mahomes just stays high and peaks usually again after like three, three and a half seconds. And then you watch Tua's number. His inside two seconds is almost near Mahomes level. Yeah. But then it drops off a freaking cliff after that and then just barely dips back up like in, at, at the end after three, three and a half seconds. And that I love when you can see a number and a graph illustrated that shows how a guy plays. Because that's exactly it. As soon as that first read is not open or that predetermination, that pre-snap read does not paint out how he uh, expects it to, it just it's like, hold on to your hat. And it's just it's chaos, not in a great way, because he's not a great scrambler. He's just an okay athlete. He's not an ad-libber all the way. That's where his arm strength comes into effect, too, because those those holes get really tight when you're ad-libbing. So that's where it just it just kind of comes unraveled. That offense is not getting those plays open, getting those players open, and defenses have been adjusting, and they have been. I think that 
Packers losing Christian Watson at some point in this game. You know, the, you you feel the lack of juice when he's not in the game. Yeah. Even though I do think that Dobbs had some nice moments against man coverage, a couple of return routes where they were really trying to put Zamian Howard in tough they're, spots that end up becoming. They're huge really mo- trying to force feed him. Yes. Like not, not just Watson, but Dobbs. They're trying to make him do hard stuff. I think in the I'm, long run, it's going to work out for him. Those yeah. return routes against man coverage, like that's a you got to win on this. Yep. And they asked him to else. do it multiple times in this game. They got a couple completions, a penalty. You know, Packers, this is one of those games where you get some breaks. You know, if yeah. that fumble doesn't happen, if that if the roughing the passer doesn't get called on that third down, after the roughing the passer, Dylan puts the ball on the ground inside the five and, and they yeah. jump on it. But you make some plays on defense, come up with enough turnovers, and you know Rodgers makes a couple of ridiculous plays. The throw to Mercedes Lewis on that third down where he's getting <laughs> outside the pocket. Even if he didn't catch it, I don't even give a shit. That's a rule, yeah. cool thing. Like That one awesome. counts. Ball don't lie. Again, yeah. you know, that, that, you, that one stays on the board even if it did come loose late. So if Green Bay does make the postseason, do you think as currently constructed, like they would be enough to threaten some of the teams at the top of the NFC? Oh yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I, I kind of think so too. I mean, if they're say they're a seven seed, I'm just making it up, and they play the Vikings. I mean, like that's I think that's actually a fairly evenly matched game. Um, no, I think they could I could easily hang with teams. No, that, that's how it is with this NFC, especially is that there's a lot in the middle, and I think they're one of the I wouldn't say best of a bad bunch, but best of a mediocre bunch. Um, and I think, of course, and they got Aaron Rodgers. And of course, the receiving talent is not is still up and down. It's young and all that, but they have answers. I mean, this they they run the ball as best with any of them. Maybe not this past weekend, but they can run the ball. The defense is up and down, but they can hang with anybody because they have enough talent and they have Aaron Rodgers. Hope the offensive line gets back healthy. Obviously, yeah. Bakhtiari is still not playing in this game because the appendectomy. And then Yash Naiman got hurt pretty early. So oh, now you're no. just starting to move around tons of different pieces. And you know, they what, Miami's front had some nice moments in this game, I think, as a result of that. Again, yep. Christian Wilkins, we mentioned him on the show we did earlier. Just an unbelievably good player and has had a yes. really, really nice season. Came up big a bunch of different Phillips times in this along. game. Yep. But, so Miami still seems like they're in a really good spot to make the playoffs. You know, I think that even after losing that game, they still have like you know 66%, 70% chance. If they if they beat the Jets even in week 18, then they're probably going to get in. If mm-hmm. they right now they have like a 90% chance if they win one of their next two games. But okay. now, you know, the Jets are potentially, you know, back in a position to do something here. You know, they it's not it's not over yet. Even if the Dolphins are still in a in a much better spot, being one game up on them, Mike right White's now. checking out his next ten doctors to make sure he can get cleared and all that. I, also, I, I want to say too is I think why you saw Rogers kind of have some fu throws in this game at least, and he had the go ball to Lazard. I think, yeah, as well. it was a beautiful throw. Yep. So so now, oh he he felt that one too. He put a, put a little stank on that one. Yes, like he, he did. He he let it go and held it up. But it's because the Dolphins kept playing man and they kept bringing pressures over 20 blitzes in this game. So that's why you saw Rogers scrambling a few times, but also he was pushing the ball deep. His air yards against the blitz was nine over nine yards uh, per attempt. And I think that's what exactly what it was, was that he Rogers, that's how they're getting their explosive plays in the past game is if you play man or blitz against them, he's going to throw slot fades and goes. That's what that we, this offense has been built off layups. And we've talked about this year. They haven't hit those threes. 
And that's what this offense needs. They need threes to just give everything else breathing space. And it's like, well, if you're going to be aggressive against somebody, it was good to see that they actually can punish that, even if they're throwing wheel routes to Mercedes Lewis. <laughs> but they did it. It still worked. The one other thing I think this offense absolutely needs down the stretch is Aaron Jones getting back right so they can start yes. using him again. I mean, obviously, he's getting worked on on the sideline. He's not getting a ton of work. Every I think that series. That- that ankle yeah. injury is, is limiting him and it's definitely slowed him down. So if they can get back to full strength offensively with the line and then hopefully him being healthy and we'll see what happens with Watson, I think they do have enough to be a problem, like yeah. a, like a potential problem and, and, a, and an annoyance in Not the an easy out. playoff picture. Yes. Not an so, easy out. Are you, are you worried about the Dolphins at this point? Like genuinely concerned, like this is going to prevent them from being a threat in the in the postseason, based on what we've seen from their offense over the last three weeks, um, no, I th- I think because they're just so explosive that they're gonna they can hang. You make a bunch of mistakes and they find it like they can hang points on anybody. Yeah. And I think their I defense think right. is fine. I think their defense is fine enough, and their defense is going to punish you if you don't play sound because they're so aggressive. So that's what this that's what this team is. If you're not sound, they're gonna they're gonna get you. They're gonna pop you on offense and defense. But if you are sound, you can get after them. But yeah, I think the explosives you know, that it is a it keeps them in every game. It cures a lot of ills when you it when does. you can make those plays happen, and they still when you get eighty yards that. like that, <laughs> it's uh it's it's really nice to play offense like that. All right, we're gonna take one quick break and then get back and talk about the Rams and Broncos here in a moment. All right, next game here. There's not a ton to talk about from an on-field perspective, in my opinion. In this game, we've reached the nadir with this Broncos situation oh, uh, on multiple different levels. The, the on-field performance aspect of what the quarterback is doing is truly troubling, and but we've known that for a little while. Mm-hmm. The body language from the rest of the offensive players in this game, a yeah. couple different examples of it. On the pick in the end zone, Corwin Sutton is stomping his feet like a toddler because he's open and Russ refused to th- refuses to throw him the ball. There was a sack at one point where Russ bails out of the pocket and Dalton Reisner is just fuming. He's just – I haven't – you very, very, very rarely see an offensive lineman react like that when a quarterback bails out of the pocket in those moments even when he shouldn't. And then – Apparently, Reisner and Brett Rippon are getting in like a, a shoving match on the sideline right. because Rippon tried to come over and say something to him. It, it, this has gotten to a point where I truly wonder where this goes from here and what they have to do because we could be looking at some unprecedented potential solutions in terms of the dead money they're willing to eat, yeah. how they're willing to get out of this or how they need to get out of this because of how unprecedentedly bad this situation has gotten. It's <laughs> it just it keeps hitting a new low and it's yes. just like sh- it's shocking it actually is shocking because man just the difference between what we were expecting this season but it's it's like you're saying like the offensive lineman going palms up palms up going what the hell are you doing i mean the only other time i've seen that this season where the lineman truly doing that was i think george fant with zach wilson yes it is <laughs> yes so Okay, so Zach Wilson and Russell Wilson are now in the same bucket as far as just how that's going along. Uh, we've had fights on the sideline, teammates yelling at uh, at Russell Wilson. Oh, Wilson Wilson, actually, I just realized that. But yelling at Russell Wilson on the sideline, you got Hackett trying to clear things up. Uh, but just Wilson like, putting the ball in front of his face while he was talking to the offensive line. Did you see that? Yeah. I didn't see that one. So, so he the put fact a, that there's put like a, a football litany. in front of his face. 
Oh, while God, he was talking was... to the offensive lineman because he was trying to hide what he was saying to the lineman. Oh my God! Like he was a baseball, like he's holding the yeah. in front. Oh my God! No, <laughs> that so like he's broken right now. Uh, I mean, the interception that he threw to Bobby Wagner is like day one install. Hank, Hank is curls and flats. You see every team from high school on upwards run this play. It's a great play. It's Hank. <laughs> it's got a name. It's a universal name. It's Hank. Um, but what Hank is is there's a ball, a player that sits over the ball. About five, four to six yards. You got curls on one side, flats on the other side. You can dress it up in a bunch of different ways. That's why it's great. You run an empty, two by two, three by one, whatever you want to run out of. So they run Hank just to get the drive going. You know, that's what you use Hank on. Hey, let's get let's get a little bucket. Let's get, get, get a lamp. That's right. Yeah. Get a lamp. That's what it is. It's just get a lamp. It's got answers to every coverage, more or less. Okay, so I'm gonna teach everyone how to read Hank, because this is how simple it is. You read the the guy over the ball, five to six yards, you look at him. If there's a squeeze on him from any defender, you go to that side. So say if you have number 45 for the Rams, Bobby Wagner, on top of the over-the-ball route, you look to that side, to the curl route, and if that, and you read the high-low of the curl and the flat. Russ throws the over-the-ball route with Bobby Wagner draped over, I want to say it was a Dolchich, or I don't know who it was, but over the middle, just right at him. Day one install play, I mean, it hits the back of his drop and just throws it right at him. And that's what just, it's, he's not reading the game out. He's just, uh, this. I, I got to do this. But then on top of it, then he has the next interception. They come back from it. Uh, like this offense is just devastatingly bad. They come back from it. You know what concept they run after the second interception? And this is why I'm going to lose my mind. They run three-step quick game under center stick with Russell Wilson. What are you doing? Like that, what are you doing? Like that, he's not good at that stuff. He's not good at quick game. He's not good at under center quick game on top of it. The only other team that does that is like Kirk Cousins uh, uh, with the Vikings. And that can go haywire sometimes. And they're doing it with Russ. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, you're just calling these plays and just to call them. There's no just rhyme or reason for anything they're doing. And I, I sense the frustration. We're talking about the offense. Jerry Judy, since like week two, has been like ready to like slit everybody's throats. But then you look at the defense. Defense, which has been their calling card this entire season, been loving what they do on this defense side of the ball. You see Pat Sertan, all pro Pat Sertan, like going palms up after the first touchdown, first or second touchdown. They ran like like a little pick thing on him or like just in and out. I might even just a stick. On I just think they're fucking over it, man. And th- that's what it is. When Pat they're Sertan, over. who's a pro's pro, I can tell he's a pro's pro. His dad was a pro. This guy knows what the NFL is about. He's like, screw this. And like he, d- he didn't even care. Like it was just, and I'm not dogging him. I'm dogging the situation because it's just. It's bad. I mean, this is like, like you say, there's going to be some, maybe some unprecedented moves. And I think there's already whispers of it because there has to be. And I mean, more than whispers, I should say. So you're looking at it right now. Obviously, the dead money has been a consistent conversation. What is it? Some of it, like, oh. some of it's a little bit misleading just because there's a, there's a bonus that kicks in at some point. And I think that if they were to convert some of the bonus, they could probably get out of it after next year if they wanted to. Like that's, that's a possibility, but it would mm-hmm. still be an astronomical amount. His 2024 option bonus, excuse me, his 2025 salary becomes guaranteed on the fifth league day of 2024. Okay. So right now, okay. I think the last thing that is guaranteed is his 2024 salary plus the option bonus, which would put his cap hit that year at like 25 million. So it now becomes a question of whether or not a team would want to take on this contract without having to pay any of the signing bonus, which was $50 million. Okay. So there's still a decent amount of guaranteed money left on that deal. I'm wondering if there's a team out there that's like, Let's just do the Osweiler. 
Like you give us, you but, give us a pick, and, and we'll what take is that it pick? on. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to find some sort of creative that, that, solution here. No, that is the creative solution, though. I just don't know what they can't cut him no. after the season because he has 107 million dollars left in uncuttable contract. Yep. Yes, but he's got I the would Jimbo not be surprised. Quarterback contracts. That's what he's got going on. If they had, if they found some way to just start over. If ownership, which is in their first year of doing this, I can't even imagine what they're thinking right now and just how bad of because they took over this team when every decision had already been made. Yes. So I I just think that you have to consider every potential option and you have to make every single phone call because they're of a new coach next year. I would guarantee it to you. But even a new staff coming in with what this looks like right now, you can't feel good about even the best case scenario yeah. with how he has looked over the course of this season and how what the vibes must be there right now. Oh, and it just it's it's statistically like an all time bad year, and that's what's it makes it even worse with the how the expectations of it at all. And this is supposed to be the franchise guy and everything. It's 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 just too bad. It's they never reach that. There's so many of these franchises. I was with one like with our tenure at the Raiders. Is you hit some highs and then you know it comes unraveled. Um, they never hit any highs. They didn't, they started off on the worst foot possible with that Seahawks game. So it's just, they, they had no goodwill to build off of. There's no, you know, you, you talked about, this is just the valleys of it all. There's no peak that they can go like, Hey, when this worked, we could do that. So that's why it's just, it's a total nuke fest. When you see players, like <laughs> players just like over it, like that's how you said it. There's just over it. That is so hard to come back from because even with the new coaching staff, Man, trust you have to build up. Like if that, if they still have to go, well, you might have this great play design for me, but the quarterback is the same. Like, or I, I could still play coverage. I love the coverage that you're calling, but are we going to score more than ten points this game? Like, they still have that in the back of their mind. That's why it's just this situation is just like unprecedentedly just bad, <laughs> dire. I keep saying the word dire, but I, I, I that's the only word I can use for it. We've had teams take on Carson Wentz. We've had teams yep. take on quarterbacks who have had. Kind of a stink on them and cost a decent amount of money because quarterbacks are still a scarce resource in the NFL. Yes. I don't know what that team would be that was willing to take a chance on him right now just because there aren't that many teams that are deeply rebuilding Yeah, and would maybe just be willing to take on the contract because they want the pick. Right. You know, I mean. Atlanta's down at the bottom of the standings. I don't think they would be willing to do that. The Bears obviously have a quarterback. You know, I don't. And if if there's a team that even at that stage of things we're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We'll take the pick. We'll take it on. Well, he can be our quarterback. It doesn't what we do in 2023 isn't that big of a deal. You still think about the cultural aspects of it and what yes. it means for the building. And yes, it almost feels that feels like things have devolved so much that bringing him in and having him be the quarterback of your franchise, you wouldn't want that around no. because of how bad things are going right now. I, I just, no. they're on multiple different levels. I think that they've painted themselves into a corner that I can never really remember, but no. certainly in my time covering the league, but even anecdotally before that, not, not in the sport I've seen this in other sports, you know, maybe a bad NBA trade, you know, or, or, you know, a, like a John Wall contract, you know, something of that sort. That was injuries and everything like that, but not like this. Um, no, it, it's 
it's it's it's just crazy to me. But it's that's the thing. It's not. It's just where he's like playing average, and it's like, well, that's not what we paid for. At least it's average. It's just so dire and so bad that that is what creates this situation with this contract. Uh, pulling it up every time we talk about him, you pull up the contract and you just see that five year, two hundred forty two million and change and change. It's like Jesus. And then you're like that. That's how long they were committed to this. Like, and you see the potential out after on uh, like at twenty twenty six. Like they're committed to this. Like they're committed to this for two, three, four years. Like this was a big move for them, obviously. And that's the thing is that now it's a total nuke. <laughs> it's a total nuke session. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I know I'm rambling, kind of ranting here. It's just kind of it, like it, just, it's, it, it's 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 really hard to wrap your mind around. It because is. I can't remember anything like it. I can't either, and especially this quickly. That's the thing. It's like it never got off the ground. It happened immediately. Immediately. It happened immediately. And I guess if you're Denver. The best way to handle this is still probably going to be saying, let's bring in a new coach. Yep. Let's get somebody new in the building. Let's see if that can be the start of a solution. You see what you maybe have next year with a new coach, but I would 100% bring in another starting caliber quarterback next season. I have to. I would go sign a Jacoby Percent or somebody kind of in that realm of things that is somebody that when you, you know, is you can't pay a ton of money because you don't have a ton of money, but Russ has a $22 million cap hit next year. Okay. So let's say you paid Jacoby one year, 8 million to yeah. come in and be your backup. You're paying $30 million to your quarterbacks against the cap in 2023. It's reasonable. That, that puts you probably somewhere in like the top 12 of teams around the NFL. And if he's bad, you go to somebody else and you, I think that there are some levers they can pull contract-wise where they can move on from him after 2023 if they make him like a post-June 1st cut and they convince him to do something with his option. Jason Fitzgerald over the cap did a great job of breaking it down where it would be like $50 million in dead money next year and $50 million in dead money the year after that. Okay. And it torpedoes your team. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very, very difficult to come back on that. And you know, teams have done it. You know, what the Rams were able to do, balancing all the dead money that they have, what the Eagles were able to do, balancing all the dead money they had on the Wentz contract. You know, they've, they overcame that by doing things like turning a seventh round pick into a star caliber left tackle and having the best <laughs> offensive line coach in the NFL. Like, that helps. They, a lot of things have to come into play and yeah. fall into place. For, and also hitting on a second round pick immediately. And having that guy turn into an MVP caliber player with the coaching staff and the talent, everything else that you put around him, the little slides that you have that you have to do to get out yeah. of this, and the little sneaky ways that you have to overcome this are very, very difficult to do. But I think that if you're the Broncos, you have to start thinking about what that life looks like because I, I just don't know how much longer you could do this. I, I agree. Can I talk about a couple of things, Rams things, real quick? Yes, like Sean, Sean McVay, the ball coach, like. It's kind of it's fun actually when you see some coaches in bad situations. Like even Kyle Shanahan's first year at the 49ers. Uh it's just kind of fun to see them like coach their asses off. Uh like the take you know, kind of take it as a challenge. Like I'm gonna make Baker Mayfield look like a look like a stud today. They but I thought it was uh, McVeigh, they ran 12 personnel on half their snaps, which I thought was super interesting. They had all the receiver injuries, makes sense. But 32 snaps of 12, wasn't expecting that. But I just want to talk about one play. This whole thing is just to talk about one play. They ran a counter play with Rob Havenstein, and I tweeted this, and uh, and Powell, the 180-pound receiver, as the pullers. 
I thought that was awesome. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. I, I don't think I've ever seen that. At first, I thought it was windback, which they do all the time, which is a receiver, a tight end, winding across. And I realized it was a tackle pulling as well. Thought that was awesome. And it's a good reminder. It's like Sean McVay can coach up some football because you can just even see. This is the difference. The concepts that they run, not only just a bunch of 12 personnel, which is hilarious, that Baker gets into a spread out system. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, we're going right back to the Browns ways with all these tight ends on the field. I know you're comfortable with that, Baker. Um, is that McVay is doing all the reads. And part of this with the offense is not a lot of quick game, which Baker isn't great at. He's just like Russ. They're very similar players in a way but also a lot of progression reads where it's left to right, right to left, just pure progression. I can scan and which is like some quarterbacks are much better at that. A lot of quarterbacks, that's a nice way to lift them up and hit all their concepts seem to be those types of concepts where Baker can just go left to right, right to left and not have to overthink anything, read a coverage or anything like that. So it's just like, yeah, that, this Sean McVay guy can, he can coach his ass off sometimes, especially on offense. Um, so it's kind of cool. 24 or 28 in this game. Yeah, dude, it was, it was it was it was a clinic. It was I know they're beating up on a, a zombie team right now, but I, I was I, I like sometimes watching these co- good coaches when they kind of have some of these doldrum teams because you can see them kind of like get creative a little bit. All right, we're gonna take one more quick break and then we're gonna get back to talk about Bucks Cardinals before we get out of here. All right, I want to start off this by talking about a fantasy football story, which no one cares about. <laughs> I had a buddy of mine in my league, in my like home league, that needed four combined points from Tom Brady and DeAndre Hopkins to go to the finals. Okay. Deep into the fourth quarter of this game, he had still not won. And we're, it just, it, the, the chat is ablaze. Like oh, this sure. would be the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of fantasy football. If he loses <laughs> this game, he needed four combined points from those two guys. And into the fourth quarter of this game, they'd almost hadn't happened because of the two picks that Brady threw. Eventually, they get there. Obviously, yeah. Brady racks up a ton of yards. He almost won on that one completion to Leonard Fournette. But that speaks to how terrible that Bucks team looked for the first three and a half quarters of this game. Yeah. And I understand you're already on your backup left tackle. Then you lose your backup left tackle. And what that does to your pass protection, how consistently they were throwing the ball short of the line of scrimmage, just getting the ball out of his hands. Yeah. But whatever the reasons, this offense is borderline unwatchable for stretches right now. And it is a shocking place for them to be. 70, 79% of their passing yards was generated by yards after the catch in this game, which is easily season high. Their, their season average is 49%. So <laughs> basically a 30% jump in one game. Um it's crazy to see how side to side this offense is for an offense that I've always loved and thrived on how at you it is down, down at you always. And there's all these screens and bubbles. And I, like you said, it's probably to mitigate some of the offensive line woes, but that's the thing. The offensive line can't get anything going in the run game. It's just, they always just seem to be missing one guy. Um, poor Rashad White. I swear the offensive line hates him because every time he gets the ball, there's like JJ Watt waiting <laughs> for him in the backfield. It's like he was God, awesome like, last night, by the way. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> yeah, a little Christmas Christmas boost. It looks like. Um, but it's just watching this. This like, even stat wise, like for Brady, Football Reference, which I love. Pro Football Reference. You can look at the adjusted passing uh, numbers, which is like basically what the league averages is a hundred for that year. So you can really see how stats rank over time, and you know inflation and deflation based on passing numbers and all that. And this is Brady's obviously his worst year, basically since his rookie or his second year. Um, it's the first time he's been under a hundred in a lot of those stats. Another other time it was was the 2019 Patriots yep. when he was throwing the ball to a bunch of farmers. Um, but it was ba- basically that's what he's at right now. 
And it's just, it's such a hard offense to watch because there's just uh, the screens and the bubbles and all this stuff left and right, but then they just have nothing else. They're, it's just creating on those plays, but not all the down drop back passing game just seems hard because Brady, you can tell, is like, I got to get rid of this ball in two seconds. So there's no breathing room on this whole offense. Um, the defense is playing well. Like, I will say that, but it's just, I just can't stand this offense either, which is sucks because when this offense is cooking, uh, it's one of my more favorite types of offenses to watch because it's so aggressive, but there's just no, there's no aggression. And I, it, it's, it's tough to watch. It was so bad. And you're bringing up those points, um, fancy points, literally is that I was looking up cause I wanted to tweet. It was, I was looking up how many points George Blanda had scored against a Cardinals team in his forties. He scored five <laughs> points one time when he was like 45 years old. <laughs> I was looking it up because I wanted to see <laughs> who had the record for 40-year-old uh, uh, players against the Cardinals in, in NFL history. So Brady did manage to beat that five points at, at, by the end of it. But the fact that I was even looking that up is, uh, yeah, that's all I need to say. They look so much better when they're, they have to show urgency, whether it's in the two-minute or whether they're trailing yes. late in the game. And I think that's a couple different things. One, Brady's probably calling those plays, which I think yeah. pro- is is a help a there. It's not been a great year for Byron Leftwich. And two, yeah. things are spread out and, and they can just kind of go to work. And it's yeah. because every time, even after halftime yesterday, if Todd Bowles come, they talk to him after the before the second half is about to start. And like, yeah, we just got to run the ball better and run the ball more. It's like oh. I can't, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> it doesn't matter your opponent, Todd. I just, I, can't I, do I, it. I just can't do this anymore. Uh, it, it is just in such a bad situation. But it's obviously not that simplistic. Where you say, well, they just need to like spread it out, and just throw it sixty-five times right. a game because the offensive line can't do that. You, yes. you, you need to give your quarterback a breather. But just every time you give your quarterback a breather, it's first and ten, and you're gaining two yards, and it's just. Right. Everything about the sequencing of it and the overall construction of how they're trying to go about this on offense is been off. It is off and it puts them in really bad spots. And I just don't know what the immediate solution is because right. it, by the time they make the postseason, if they do, but even that is not a guarantee at this point. Like they got a playing game more or less against the Panthers this week. And that is not going to be a gimme. No. No, and they're gonna and that Panthers defense will make it tough on them. That that's the thing is that they've had so many chances and so many matchups where they could get this right and really just figure out the balance of their offense. It's just the chemistry of the offense, not just personal chemistry, but just the equation of what to yes. lean into against the game has just been off the whole year. It's they just pound the rock, they run to the back of their guards for one or two yards a pop, and it's just I don't know. I the the number I always come back to is they're dropping empty numbers, and I get it. They don't have a great offensive line, but Tom Brady can still get rid of the ball in two point two seconds. So just let them cook. That's how you get those five to six yards. It's Chris Godwin eating up the middle of the field, as opposed to just the the, the screens and everything to the side. I don't know. That's that's where I'm at. It's just they never figured out that equation the entire season, and now it's like I mean you got two weeks left, and like you said, you're basically playing for your your playoff lives now. When this should have been a walk in for the Bucks. I really do think I'd rather see that Panthers team in the playoffs than this Bucks team, <laughs> just just because of how hard the Panthers are playing. And I just want to see Sam Darnold. I get it. That's <laughs> I do. I do. I'm with you though, because at least it's fun and interesting, and they're doing some cool stuff. It's like this is this just feels sad at times. I thought there was an interesting note on the broadcast yesterday. I, I can't remember who was was saying it, but it might have been Tariko talking about them talking to Godwin this week. 
and him just saying that how I've played this year and the process of coming back from the ACL gives me a lot of respect for the level I was playing at before. And I thought that was Chris Godwin's a very smart, thoughtful person. Yes, he's a very thoughtful guy. So I, but I thought that was incisive just because that think about how far he is away from that now. So just one more reason why they're a step down. This guy getting a dozen targets a game for them is openly talking about how he's not the same player he was last season or the year before. So just there's so many different layers to this where you start off with an off. Jensen goes down the first day of training camp. Yes. Blow number one. Yep. Okay. You have Ali Marpet retires. You already have a replacement there. Yep. Okay. You your left tackle is just not playing at a high level the entire yeah, season. Yeah, just down. I mean, just a, a, <laughs> a step down from where he's been. Then yeah. he gets hurt. Now you're on left tackle number three. Now you have a guy who has been a huge part of what you've been offensively over the last couple of years. It's kind of like a skeleton key with the blocking that he can do, yep. what he can do with some of those screens. He's a vertical threat. He's at eighty percent of what he was a year removed from an ACL. Trying his ass off too always and you know, and you always. know he's not and he's no you can't he just can't get to that full gear understandably <laughs> you have a defensive-minded head coach whose offenses were terrible the last time yeah. that he was doing this Every time. coming in and now he is the one kind of setting the overall mindset for right. what the building feels like how you yes. want to play you have byron left which now truly running the offense by himself under a defensive-minded head coach with the influence the feel everything yep about Arians no longer being there. Arians' input no longer being a part of how they're constructing the game plans, no longer being on the headset, just removing his presence from what the offensive version of the team feels like. And also, the decision-making. Like When you move, change out your head coach, even if he's a guy that is heavily respected by the guy who he's replacing, who's coached under him forever, has been on your staff, their decision-making and their overall situational choices that they've made this year are bad. Like they are just not good. So I think they're just from 20 different directions. That that is why we've come to this place with this Bucks team. They they, they have no room for error and they they give themselves no room for error. It's just so funny with Todd Bowles as a defensive coordinator, play caller and him as a head coach and being so conservative and everything is that like, you watch a game like this when he's going against Trace McSorley, and you just see him like top. It was Christmas for Todd Bowles, like what he got to call, like as far as blitz wise and everything, like the strip sack out of empty, like it, they blitz him out of empty, and they just he had no shot. Um, they brought like a Will corner combo, which I, I brought up earlier. I just love those those uh, blitzes because if you have a quarterback that doesn't know that they're coming, they're screwed. But it's just so funny to watch this aggressive defensive coordinator, and then he becomes a head coach, and he's just like, nope, conservative. Like <laughs> I'm gonna make sure you know we're punting all those fourth downs. We're uh, we're not burning the timeouts. Remember the, the when they played the Panthers the first time, uh, I, I think they had a clock management stuff at the end of that game. But no, it's just this: they don't give themselves any room for error. They make their offense hard. Their offense is built off three, four yard gains when they used to be built off twelve to fifteen yard chunk plays. That's the difference with this team. Um, the Jensen injury. I'm glad you brought that one up. That is more has been more devastating. I knew it would. Impact you losing your center, of course. Your all pro center, pro bowl center is gonna hurt you. Losing him just as that leader and also just taking the load off Tom Brady. You could tell that it feels like Tom Brady sounds like CM Punk at, in his press conference where he's like, I'm I, I'm with a bunch of fucking children. Like that's what it feels like he is like right now. He's like, I'm with a bunch of kids and I I can't do this. I'm done. Like I'm I'm exhausted dad right now uh, on vacation. That's what he kind of seems like because I feel like Jensen's that kind of spiritual leader 
Yes, one hundred percent. So, so that's the combo. You always need that kind of yin and yang as far as leadership, and I think that's what's really hurting them because they just don't have that. It's just Tom yelling at kids as opposed to maybe you know the cool older brother, you know, <laughs> kind of bringing everybody else up. But that matters. That shit matters. Breaking news: <gasps> the Broncos have fired Nathaniel Hackett. Wow! Before we even finish the show. I don't know what there is to say about it. When you yeah. watch that game yesterday, you have to do it. I have to. I mean, you, there's. There, I I was would have been surprised that they had let it keep going any further after what that game looked like on both sides of the ball yesterday. Just open fighting on on yeah. the, on on the sideline. A defense that, after being the best defense in the league for most of the season, looks completely checked out. I mean, yeah. we've seen what the Panthers firing Matt Rule did to their season, and just even if you're trying to salvage the vibes for a couple weeks heading into the off season. I think that has to matter, but we've talked about this multiple different times over the last month or so. I can't remember anything like this. No. You have a team that is supposed to win 10 games. It was over under in Vegas before the season started. They were 17 to one to win the Super Bowl. They traded away multiple first round picks and multiple second round picks for a quarterback that a lot of people think belongs in the Hall of Fame. They gave him a $250 million contract. They just fired their head coach the day after Christmas with two games left in the season. It's insane. It's insane. I wouldn't. We did our AFC West preview show, and I remember we. I, I keep coming back to this, but went over their coaching staff, and that's when I really dove into it. And I looked, and I was like, "That was like when my alarm bells really started getting louder." Because not to say like any of those coaches are bad or anything, there just wasn't a lot of experience and on the offensive side, especially nothing. nothing, nothing. So that's the thing when you get these guys. Sometimes having just the old time West Coast vet, you know, on your staff is really helpful because you're like, shit. Man, they keep doing this on third down. Anyone got any ideas? But when everyone's just these young guys going, I, I don't know. What do you got, Nathaniel? Like, what do you got? Like, that that hurts over the years. And if the quarterback's not giving ideas as well, or he's telling you what you want to hear, or he's saying, yeah, let's get into empty again, <laughs> or let's run under center quick game. Um, but that's what just this, that's what this team always felt like. It was just that as soon as things went bad, which was day one, it felt like, or game one is just they never had the pivot point. They never had a way to turn to or change their tone. And this is it. It's unbelievable. I mean, it really is. Like you said, I, I, when we broke it down, I think when they lost to the Panthers a few weeks ago, wherever game that was, and you went over the Super Bowl odds of all the coaches that have been one and done. And then it's like 100 to 1, 150 to 1, 120 to 1, 200 to 1. And then you get to this team, it's 17 to 1, which was probably like the sixth favorite. And that's insane. And he's going to fire a day after Christmas. Looking at the offensive coaching staff, I was just looking at it really quickly. Yeah. They uh, pretty much everyone on the staff was elevated to a role that they had never had before. Yep. Justin Outen was the tight ends coach with yep. the Packers. He was elevated to be their offensive coordinator. Butch Berry, their offensive line coach, was the assistant offensive line coach first time for the 49ers. Uh, Clint Kubiak is the only exception. Clint Kubiak was the offensive coordinator for the Vikings last year. He is the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks yep. coach who is the play caller. After Nathaniel Hackett ended up giving that up, but really everyone else, Jake Moreland, their tight ends coach, I believe was the assistant offensive line coach for the Jets the year before. So every single guy was in a new role and there was a lot of inexperience. And on the defensive side, I actually think that they have some really promising coaches on that side. They do. Def- uh, uh, Christian Parker, their defensive backs coach was the defensive backs coach last year under Fangio. Fangio. I think that Evero will 100% be a defensive coordinator in yes. the league next year. Deservedly. And, uh, it, somebody will be lucky to have him. But on the offensive side, it was a disaster from day one. And some of the stuff that they were even saying before the season about how 
Russ will Russ will be make the decisions. We'll build it the way that Russ wants to build it. All of that stuff. And that meme of the Grim Reaper going from door to door. Yes. And there's just blood <laughs> pouring out. Just all of the faces of the coaches over yep. the last five years that no longer have jobs because that's what they were trying to do with Russell Wilson. Right. It, it's, I mean, it's true. I'm telling you, go back, anyone, listen to AFC West preview. Listen to us talk about the Broncos. And I remember this is just when I, I was like, man, and that was middle of August, late August. And I was like, man, this is maybe not lining up how I think everyone thinks it's going to. And sure enough, it went Murphy's Law <laughs> as far as how it ended up. But that's what it is. They try to appease it. We talked about it. Hey, yeah, they're going to bring that extensive empty package with Russell Wilson. And you look at the stats and Russ is like the worst empty quarterback in the last three years going into this year. It's like, that's the thing is they were trying to build this system that really had no groundwork at all. I don't know what happens next. I don't know who wants this job. I I don't know. Is a new GM as well? Like, is that? I don't know. I know that's, that might be a whole nuke. I I really don't know. It's crazy. It's it's absurd. I, I just have no idea what things are going to look like here, what they do at quarterback, what that conversation is. The guy who interviews for this job, when he comes in and starts to sit down, be like, all right, what are you guys going to do with Russ? Yeah. Like, what's the plan? Like, do, do I have to keep him? Is there any way we can get out of this? Like, it's an unprecedented situation. It's a word we've used multiple times on the show, and, and that's what it feels like. So we're going to have a lot of time to dig into what comes next for the Broncos, what went wrong for the Broncos, all of that. For now... That's all we've got for today. If you have not listened to the part one Saturday recap that we did breaking down the Christmas Eve games, that is available in your podcast feed right now. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you have not done that. We're doing a lot more YouTube stuff down the stretch here. Also, as we get into the off season, we'll be doing plenty of video first content. So if you have not subscribed, please go subscribe to that. I will be back on Wednesday with our buddy Bun Solak from The Ringer. Hey. We're going to do a wildcard threat index. I used to write it every single year. Just yeah. looking at all the teams playing on wildcard weekend, who's actually the biggest threat to these real contenders. I think the only three teams that we're not going to talk about are the Eagles, okay. the Bills, and the Chiefs. Okay. I think those teams are like in, the, on a, in a spot of their own. Like Brock Purdy is the quarterback for the Niners. Like I, I feel like Big, we could talk Eagles about that. Little- but Bengals are wild card, but they're playing on wild card weekend. So yeah, if you're, yeah, yeah. the teams that are playing on wild card weekend, like not hosting, a, like all that kind of stuff. I gotcha. So I, I, I think we're gonna put the. It's put your the show. In you there. can you can make up the, whatever, I, however you want to do it. Uh, I you make up whatever rules I want. It's the best part <laughs> it's the of best. this. So please come back and check that out on Wednesday. In the meantime, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.